Well, good morning again. Yeah, it's great to see all of you folks again. There's a few here that weren't here last time, so I'm glad you're back. I thought maybe you stayed away because of me, but enjoy the singing. I, I couldn't help but think as Bob was mentioning that we're singing this last song, and the people wanted to hear more, and I'm sure it's because the singing was good. I mean, their family is very talented, as you all know, and the singing here is fantastic. We always enjoy the singing when we come here. And I, I think they maybe wanted to hear a little bit of it because of their singing, as good as it was. But you know, to hear somebody say it is well with my soul, that gets people's attention. Everybody knows that they have a soul. I don't know too many people who feel that all is well with their soul. So if you hear somebody singing, it is well with my soul, yeah, you're going to pique attention. And you trust that as you sing those songs and you sing more of them, that the Spirit of God just uses that to help us examine. But I couldn't help but think, uh, I brought the, the song up here because of the last verse. And now you don't have to open it up, I'll just read it to you again. But we were singing, and I'm sure we were singing um, really meaning it. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Well, I know we're all looking for, for the Lord to haste the day of his return. I know we will now have faith behind us and sight before us, but we will be in his presence. And I thought, well, this ties into my message today. I often wonder why <clears throat> the Lord lays certain messages on my heart. Because uh, uh, if the people where I go tell me what they want me to speak on, well, that's easy. And I just go and study that area. But when they don't tell me what to speak on, well, then I have to look to the Lord for wisdom and guidance and direction and pray that give me something that you feel would be of help to the saints of God. You know what's going on in their hearts and lives more than I do. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, Lord, haste the day. When faith shall be turned to sight. Well, do you know what the first thing that's going to happen to you once you get into the Lord's presence after the rapture? It's the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the message the Lord has laid on my heart today. I haven't spoken on this topic for quite some time. Uh, I know I have gone through it with you at least once or twice. Because I have, over the years, I've been coming here 24 years, I think now. And we've been through um, the book of Romans, you know, race straight through each chapter with you. Uh, we've been, I've been through both books of Corinthians, and particularly 2 Corinthians, which mentions, and of course it's just Romans and 2 Corinthians that mentions uh, the judgment seat of Christ. So I, I know that when I go through a, a book with the Bible, we, we go through it pretty thoroughly, so I know that I have mentioned this and spoke on it briefly here before, but it was just a part of those particular books. 
But the Lord, for some reason, has laid this on my heart uh, to speak here, and uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, you know, the judgment seat of Christ, you know, is it's very critical that we understand uh, the, the judgment seat of Christ and its import on a believer in this life, but even more importantly, in the life to come. You know, the Lord uh, has saved us for a reason. We know he loves us. Uh, yes, he saved, saved us to bring us to be with himself. But, you know, eternity is a long time. It goes on forever. And, you know, when we get to glory, uh, we're just not going to be sitting around glowing and looking at the Lord. Scripture makes it very clear we're going to reign with him and rule with him. Uh, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be a part of all that. And then we're going to have responsibilities uh, when we get to glory. And we're going to be able to serve the Lord like we should be able to serve the Lord, which we can only do minimally now because, you know, we hold ourselves back. We are the ones who get in the way of serving the Lord the way we should serve the Lord. But someday we're going to be able to serve him completely and fully. But you see, this will take place after the judgment seat of Christ, and so forth. And I just want to emphasize, I trust, you know, a brief study on this judgment seat of Christ will cause believers here to focus on the importance of living in view of this future event. Now, when I say I don't believe it's something we have to dread, uh, I used that term once years ago, and somebody took real exception to that, I, I said, you, you don't have to be afraid or dread the judgment seat of Christ. I know when we stand before the Lord, it will be with fear and reverence and awe. All you have to do is look at John as he saw the Lord in, John, in Revelation. When he saw him in his glory, what did he do? He fell on his face as though he were dead. In other words, reverence and awe. Oh, we're going to have great reverence and awe. I can just imagine the first time I'm standing face to face with the Lord. You know, you like to think, well, oh, boy, you just want to give him a big hug. I have a feeling the first thing I'm going to do is fall on my face before him in reverence and awe and a thankful spirit for what he has done and wrought in my life. But, you know... We do have to be conscious of the fact that now that we are children of God, it is important how we live for him down here. And, you know, we're going to be judged, not related to sin anymore. That's all done and gone. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, praise the Lord. You're in glory. If you're not at the judgment seat of Christ, woe be to you. You will be at another judgment further down called the great white throne judgment, and you do not want to be there. So, you see, it's not that I'm going to be afraid of him when I'm standing before. I'm in glory with him. But at the same time, that first glimpse of standing before him, I'm sure is going to be a marvelous experience 
but one of reverence and awe above all else. When you get to truly see this one and all he has done to make it possible for you to be there. You know, the reality of, of the judgment seat of Christ is something that believers have to understand. And the question we ask ourselves, are believers whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ going to be held accountable for their thoughts, their words, and their actions? And of course, the answer is yes. And the two passages we're going to look at, just very briefly, starts is look at the first one in Romans chapter 14. So just please turn there. Romans chapter 14. There's three little verses there. Starting with verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now just keep those three verses in mind for more further study on your own later on. The second passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to have you turn to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just verses 9 and 10 at this point. Second Corinthians 5, 9. Wherefore we labor that we, whether present or absent, may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, just keep those two passages before you and spend some time when you have a chance just to really study these things. Again, when you have somebody like myself presenting these things, we give you some basic information, but we can't exhaust any topic in the period of time that we have. Now, it's obvious from these two passages, and of course, um, uh, Paul wrote both of these, by the way. You know, this judgment seat of Christ uh, was so real to Paul that it drove him <laughs> to live for and to please the Lord in his walk. Paul was very concerned about that day. He knew he was going to stand before the Lord someday and give an account for how he had lived for and served the Lord. And this drove Paul. We wonder why Paul was the man he was. Well, yes, he met the Lord face to face, theoretically, on the, on the road to Damascus. And we know what he was like before. He was a Christ hater. He killed Christians and applauded when they were being killed. He was there at Stephen's stoning, probably cheering him on. But you know, then he met the Lord, and the Lord gave him his commission. This is what you're going to do. And he knew right from the beginning he was going to suffer greatly for the Lord. And from a human perspective, rightfully so, for what he had done to the Lord and his people. 
up to that point. But you see, once Christ came into his life and he was given the commission as to what he was going to do, he was driven because he knew the day would come when he would once again stand before the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ was very important to Paul. Now, the Greek word for judgment seat is bima. I think most of you are probably familiar with that in the New Testament. And it occurs 12 times in the New Testament. Now, in Romans uh, 14 and again in 2 Corinthians 5, these are the only passages that deal with the judgment seat of Christ and are set apart from the other 10 in three different ways. They are not references to past historical events, but a future event. Now, let's, let me give you three examples of that. It's the same word in the original, Mima. When Christ stood before Pilate in John 19, it says there that he stood before Pilate at the judgment seat, at the Bema seat. When he was shipped off to Herod in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, he stood before the throne of Herod. But the word for throne in the original is Bema. It's the same seat. And then the third time, now he's passed on to Agrippa. And it tells us there in chapter 25 of Acts, uh, in verse 23, he stood before the court of Agrippa. But it's the Bema. That's just three examples of the other ten times that is mentioned in Scripture. The only time it is mentioned concerning the judgment seat of Christ is in the two passages that I have read. Now, there are only they are only, the only two found in the epistles, and they have God serving as the judge. So when we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, God is the judge at the Bema seat. Well, who is he there to judge? Now, we, we think of the word judge in a very negative term, whether it's mainly because of the legal system. You know, when you have to go before the judge, that's, well, that's, that's, that's bad. You, know, you don't want to go before the judge. But you see, we don't have to look at the judgment seat of Christ because, you see, we are already there because we have had our sins forgiven, forgotten, never to be used against us again. And that's even sins of the future that you're still going to commit. Uh, yes, we are all going to commit more sin until the Lord takes us home. But all of that is done. All right? We are now in glory. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account how we lived our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the judge at the Bema. Now, if you remember how we started this out, it was, do not judge one another. Because that's a whole lesson in itself. But that's how it started out. But here it's interesting to note um, that God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he, the righteous one is the one who's going to judge us at the Bema seat of Christ. Jace uh, Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, wrote this. 
God gives Jesus authority to judge all men because of who he is. Jesus is uniquely qualified to judge because he is God and has existed from eternity, John 1.1. As God, he knows everything, can be everywhere at once, and has unlimited power and authority. He knows everything we think, and he sees everything we do. Thus, he can judge perfectly with wisdom and full understanding and without partiality. Christ is also uniquely qualified to judge because of what he has done. By dying for our sins on the cross, he demonstrated perfect love for all men. Thus, when he judges, his perfect righteousness is balanced by his perfect love. Okay? Why are you and I not to judge one another? Because we don't know everything. We draw our conclusions just based on our thought on the issue. We don't know all the facts. But you see, when we stand before the Lord, it's going to be a righteous judgment. It's going to be a perfect judgment. Because he sees and knows everything. He even knows what you're thinking right now. Like, I wish he wasn't talking on this or whatever. <laughs> okay, he understands. You see, that's why he's the one who will judge at the judgment seat of Christ. He's the righteous judge. Therefore, there's nothing to fear for us who are believers in Christ who are standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, will it be a time of apprehension? Well, I'm not even sure that will be there. You know, we will be there. We will stand before him in his complete holiness and love and all the things we know about him now. And yes, we know, because scripture has told us that he is going to judge, okay? Bear forth evidence of why we should have a gifts, gifts, and why we shouldn't get some for things that we have done. And basically, this is what we're going to have as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, who are the subjects that will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And we've already kind of alluded to this, but, and who, who are the we in Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Well, Paul uses several phrases in uh, the first eight verses of chapter 5, and we're not going to read them, but I'm going to share with you basically what is revealed in those particular verses. And he clearly describes who the we are who are going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 1, they have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, we all know what a house is. But you see, this world isn't our home, you know. My citizenship is in heaven already. But at this point in time, I am one who has a house that is not built with hands, but is eternal and is already in God's eyes, in the heavens. You know, God sees us in Christ as already being totally justified, totally sanctified, and totally glorified. That's our standing in Christ. The second thing in verse 5, they have been given the Holy Spirit by God as a down payment. Remember when, the, when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who came into your life? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came in. And you know, the marvelous thing is, the Spirit of God brought us in, baptized us into the body of Christ. Uh, he indwelt us. And he sealed us unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the rapture. We're safe and secure. We know who we're talking about, who we are here. It's those of us who've been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God within us. In fact, we read that the divine nature of God was imparted to us in Peter, giving us everything we need for spiritual life and godly living. We have all these great and precious promises of God that are yea and amen through the Lord Jesus Christ that will enable us to escape the corruption that's in this world through lust. See, these are the people who are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 7, they walk by faith and not by sight. You know, it's interesting at the Lord's table, there isn't any mention as things we have done. There's no mention in our worship about things we have done that merit our salvation. We spend our whole time focused on what? Who is the one that made it possible for us to be cleansed from sin and brought into harmony, reconciled to a holy and righteous God? And we rejoice in doing that. Well, I, I envision I'm going to be rejoiced in doing that when I'm standing before him, even though I know that things are going to be revealed about myself by him. But I also understand, just from what I've learned down here, I'm going to agree with him 100%. The things that I don't get rewarded for, even though I thought I did a great job in doing it for the Lord, I'll understand. No, I, I didn't deserve a reward for that now that I see it through his eyes. But there will be things that I will be rewarded for. And many times I think things that we never thought we would be rewarded for because they were so insignificant, so unimportant, but we did it anyway. He knows the heart. And those are the types of things that are going to be revealed. We walk by faith, not by sight. They will be at home with the Lord when their bodies die, we are told. You know, Paul says, you know, it's better for me, really, to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. But, you know, if the Lord has work for me to do down here yet, well, then that's where I want to be. You see, the point is, it speaks in Scripture, who's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, those who will be at home with the Lord. So again, that's what I'm saying. Uh, when you think about the judgment seat of Christ, be thankful you're going to be there. Be thankful you're going to be there. Because you're in glory with him. And finally, in verse 8, they will be at home with the Lord. Oh, I, I guess I said that, when their bodies die. Now, these four descriptions can only be applied, of course, to the New Testament church, the body of Christ, which are Christians. Now, I know there's some who will debate that, but we aren't here to debate, and I just take God at his word. 
you know, the bottom line is we know that the church, the body of Christ, are the ones who are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. All right, now when will this judgment seat of Christ take place? Well, God's word clearly states that it will take place immediately following the rapture of the church. That's the very first event that's recorded in scripture for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we all get to heaven, we sing what a day of rejoicing that will be. And it will be. You'll be there. Just imagine the rapture taking place. Whether you're dead or alive won't make any difference. You're both going to feel the same way about it. You know, in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, you'll be changed. And you're going to be with the Lord with a glorified body like his glorified body. Well, we're not going to be him, but we're going to have a glorified body. No more sin. We're looking forward to that blessed day. And, and I, to me, it can't happen any sooner than right now. <laughs> you look at the world today, there's nothing down here for us. And it's becoming more evident every day. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's tougher and tougher to live in this sinful, wicked world because we know it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. So we look forward to that day. But you know, Paul was motivated and emphasized that his desire to be pleasing to the Lord by an awareness of his accountability to God and by his desire to be rewarded. Paul was a faithful servant. But what drove him to be a faithful servant? It was knowing that one day he was going to stand before his Lord and give an account for the way he lived as a child of God. And that's the thing we're going to be focusing on as we go through this study, which will be this week and next week, by the way. We're not going to finish this all today. But, you know, the word of God is very clear that it's going to be for believers. And some people might be thinking now, well, how can verse 10 reconcile itself with John 5, 24? And I've had people argue this with me, and I don't argue, I just listen you don't no sense arguing about these things. What does it say in John 5, 24? Well, Jesus says, and he starts, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, assuredly, assuredly, listen up. This is important. Assuredly, I say unto you, he that will hear my word. That word hear there really means listen with a view of obeying my word. And believe him. Believing is an act of the will. And believe him who sent me, who was God the Father, shall have what? Everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation or judgment. For he has passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Well, that verse says we will never come into condemnation or judgment. Is Paul contradicting John? No. John is talking about eternal life in relationship to salvation. 
You need to be born again, born anew. You need this new life in Christ. You're dead in sin. And Jesus said, listen up. If you will believe in the one who sent me and what I'm telling you about myself, who I am and why I came and what I'm going to accomplish in coming here this first time, you will have everlasting life. Well, now John, or Paul's writing is saying, well, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, are they contradicting one another? No, John is talking about your eternal destiny. John's talking about what you're going to be doing when you get to glory. Okay? You're going to give an account so you can see the reward that you're going to receive and what your service is going to be in the kingdom of God. They're talking about two entirely different things. And, of course, Paul was so motivated by his desire to please the Lord because he knew he was going to give an account someday as he stood before the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, God is going to hold every believer accountable for the time and the talents and the treasures that he entrusts to us during our earthly life. Let me just mention those three things again. We're going to give an account for the time, for the talent, and what are talents? The spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you. And the treasures, the, way, the blessings that he entrusted to you during your life down here from the time you come to know him as your personal savior. Anything prior to that time is history. It's gone. All those terrible things you were and did before you accepted Christ well, those things are gone. They're as far as the east is from the west. They're behind his back. They're down at the depths of the deepest sea. They're done. It has nothing to do with what you were before Christ came into your life. It's what you have done with what the Lord has blessed you with since he came into your life. For the first time, you were able to do a good work. You know, all of us are so familiar with uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and a little bit with 10. For by grace ye are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. You all know those two verses. I know you do. You can quote them. Can you quote verse 10? It's a part of it. You are saved unto good works. For the very first time in your life, you can now do a good work because Christ is in you to give you the power to do it. In the flesh, before Christ was in your life, what did Jeremiah tell us about our good works? They are as filthy rags in God's eyes. You know, I've been hearing so much lately on the news, you know, well, boy, so-and-so did so much good for so many people, but they have no interest at all in the things of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying what they did were not nice things to do for people, 
but they're done out of the wrong motives. You know, any work that we do in the flesh is nothing but a filthy rag in God's eyes. It was only after Christ came into my life that I was able to do good works. But along with being able, we now add the big word. We are responsible to do good works. You see, and we'll talk about three different areas next time we get together, how, how Paul expressed the importance and how we can apply this aspect of whether we're going to have rewards or not before we get to glory, and once we get to glory. And the truth is, well, I've been saved for good works, and so have you. You know, prophecy is not given <clears throat> to satisfy our curiosity. Prophecy is given to stimulate our purity. The prospect of standing before the judgment seat of Christ is the future is designed to stimulate the believer to live for Christ in the present. And that's what we have before us here. I've been saved a lot of years, 60-some years. Well, yeah, I'm hoping I've done something in God's eyes that merits a reward. Oh, I've sought to see, live for him and serve him and raise my children in the way. You know, I, all the things, you know, you, you do what you can do. But, you know, so many times, even in speaking or as an elder, things that I would be called upon to do, some of those I did for the Lord, for his honor and glory, joyfully. And other times, I didn't. I still did them, but I didn't do them joyfully and as unto the Lord. Well, when I get before the judgment seat of Christ, it won't take me long to figure out as he's looking me in the face. Yeah, you did that, but that way, I don't deserve a reward for that. Praise God, I'm getting one for that because I did it in his power, his might, to his honor and glory, to the benefit of my brother or sister in Christ, no matter what it costs me. You see, we're going to give an account every last one of us. And I'm looking forward to that day when I stand before him. I understand there's going to be many things that I will not be rewarded for that I thought maybe I would be. But praise God, there's going to be some things I will be rewarded for and maybe things I never thought I would be. You see, it's going to be a blessed time. And I was uh, just mentions to somebody who's not here because he's teaching in another class right now that what I was going to speak on and the first thing he said was was something to the effect um, well what, how are you going to feel you know when you stand before the Lord and all of this stuff is revealed and I said you know there's a passage in scriptures that says uh, there will be no tears in heaven there will be no tears in heaven. But remember, when you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not in, he in heaven yet. You're not there yet. The judgment seat of Christ comes first. Then comes the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then you get to the sixth seal area. And now we're coming back with him to reign and rule over the world. And so they can see us when he comes back 
at the end of the tribulation. All right? But you see, it does mention that there will be no tears in heaven, but we also read in Scripture there's going to be a time when he will wipe away your tears and say, enter in to the joy of the Lord. Now, it doesn't tell me exactly when that time is going to be, but as you just you know, think about this and study and understand the judgment seat of Christ, to me, that's the logical place that there's going to be tears in these eyes in glory. Well, not because I'm disappointed in the Lord, and not because I'm disappointed with my, the gifts and rewards I received, but I will be reminded of all those things where I failed him. But you know, he's going to wipe those tears away, never to be seen or thought of again, and now say, enter in to the joy of your Lord. You know, it's, it's this important for us to understand. The judgment seat of Christ is a very important event. Now, just one other thing I just want to mention. There's two motivations involved as to why we're going to do this. You know, first of all, it's a present motivation to the believer. If you are conscious, I mean truly conscious, that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul was, what did it do for Paul? It motivated him to serve the Lord with his entire being. Now, was Paul perfect? <clears throat> no. There's incidences where Paul was not doing the right thing. But by and large, what motivated Paul to suffer and still live for? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it was a motivation because he knew someday he would stand before him again. He had already seen him once. I don't know just how that went. <clears throat> but he definitely had a contact with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he knew he was going to see him again. And that first meeting on the road to Damascus had to be one scary time for Paul. He knew who he was immediately. And he knew what he had done to the Lord and his people. But you see, he knew he was going to stand before him again. And he, he was motivated to live for him and serve him. And you see, that's what it's supposed to do for us. That's one of the aspects of understanding the judgment seat of Christ. It's, it's the present motivation. The problem is most of us don't really think all that much about the judgment seat of Christ, if you want to be honest. We just don't. Oh, yeah, back here I know it's going to be. But it has to be right up here at the forefront. Every day I should be living in view of the judgment seat of Christ. And Scripture tells us, those who have that hope of the rapture every day, what effect will it have in your life? It will purify your life. That's why we are to think about it now. 
all right? But there's also the future manifestation of the believer in relationship to know this. And it's, note, it's interesting to note the word appear in uh, Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians excuse me, 5.10, and the word appear, it means to make visible or to reveal. And the idea here is we will not only be present at the judgment seat of Christ, but we will also be revealed there as to our character and our conduct as believers. As believers. Forget your sins before you were saved. That's done. But you see, once Christ came into your life, you are going to be held accountable for how you live now with Christ in your life the Spirit of God in your life who gives you the power to overcome the wickedness in this world and to live godly in Christ Jesus and to serve him out of love and gratitude rather than out of obligation or whatever else it might be. And then the second thing is to recompense. It's to re recompense means to receive back what is due to the believer, the things done during their earthly life. And this is what you want to focus on. You know, yeah, I know it talks about the wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah, it's going to be there. But even that's going to be pushed aside and the tear wiped away for all that stuff you see, you thought you did for the Lord and you didn't. But the focus is going to be on what he's going to reward you for. I don't like to use the word repay, but it recompenses to give you what you're due. He's not, he can't say, good, well done, good and faithful servant, unless you have been in some areas. And the truth is, you will hear those words. Not as for as many things as you thought you might get, but for the things that honestly you deserved to get. He will recompense you for those rewards. And, you know, you look forward to that blessed day. And as you think about uh, the idea here is, that is to determine the degree and the nature of your rewards. And the idea is this. No loving deed, kind word, obedient, faithful servant will be forgotten. You may have already forgotten. I know I've forgotten a lot of things that I've done in the past that I'm sure I will get a reward for. Can't even remember those good times, all the good things. I remember the bad ones really more than I do the good ones. But see, the Lord sees both. Away with what stuff that I don't deserve, but oh, I'm going to be recompensed for those things I did to his honor and glory. And likewise, see, no waste of time, talent, or treasure will be hidden. Reward forfeited. You're not going to get a reward if you didn't deserve it. We understand that, nor should we. But we will get a reward for those things that we do to his honor and glory through his power to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ and just to serve the Lord and be a witness for him. And even in our worship, you know, the days you really come and really worship the Lord, oh, you'll be recompensed for that. We don't always, always worship the Lord when we come at the Lord's table all the time. I think we all understand that. Our minds can be in so many different places if we're not so careful. 
Well, our time is up here. You know, it is imperative that believers live in view of the judgment seat of Christ. And we must ask ourselves a few questions. Am I pleasing God? Am I pleasing God? Am I really to give account, or am I ready to give account to God? Would you really be happy if the trump sound today by the way you're living right now? Well, yeah, we would be happy because we believe in the Lord, but you know, I want to be with the Lord. I remember the little saying in our house, don't be doing anything you wouldn't want to be doing if the Lord came. Don't be saying anything you wouldn't want to be saying if the Lord had come. You know, don't be with anybody you wouldn't want to be with if the Lord would come. Don't be in any place you wouldn't want to be if the Lord would come. All right? We had to be living consciousness of the reality of living as if this today could be the day. I want to go into the Lord's presence doing the Lord's will and work in my life. Don't you? See, that's the whole idea of why we speak on the judgment seat of Christ. It's not here to make you feel bad. You should feel good about it. You will be with the Lord. Yes, you'll give an account. And praise God, he's going to reward you for those times you were faithful. Well, I hope there's going to be more and more times of faithfulness in my life and less and less times of unfaithfulness as a believer as I look forward to the Lord's return. Well, what are the basis for judgment? Well, we're going to be looking at that time, the next time we get together. And uh, this question is uh, best answered in three New Testament passages, two by Paul and one by Luke. And we'll look at those three things that what is the basis of the judgment. What are we really going to be judged on? Well, I can tell this lesson did speak to a lot of hearts. I can tell it by the looks on your face. That's good. It spoke to my heart the whole week. I'm studying on it this week. Because I, we all understand. Yes, we love the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. And we do serve the Lord. But are we doing it for the right reasons? Is it really to give him the glory? Is it ready to build up my brother and sister in Christ? Is the love of Christ really radiating in my life? You know, I just trust and pray that this little thought will help us to focus on the reality. Yes, I'm looking for the rapture. I'm looking for it. I'm looking forward to standing before the Lord. I can't wait to see him face to face. But I also understand that when I'm there, I'm going to give an account for how I lived from the day he saved me until the day he brought me into his presence. And that's all I'm asking you to do as well. So, trust the Lord will challenge our hearts with these few thoughts. Go home and read these over and study them yourself. And the next time we get together, we'll look at the, the, the three aspects of how things are determined at least from the scriptural point of view. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son, our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, for your word is truth. We thank you for the Spirit of God that reveals the truth of God's word to our hearts. 
But we also are reminded, as we've been reminded this morning, that these things that you reveal to us that are to be true in our lives now that we belong to thee, that we're going to give an account of those things someday. And we just pray, Lord, that all of us will be able to hear loud and clearly, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we also realize there are times in our lives when we think we are living for thee and serving thee, that we're doing it in the flesh. We're doing it in our own strength. And rightfully so, we will not be rewarded for those events. So Lord, just help us to seek your will, your guidance, your direction in our lives and our service for thee. We love you so much, Lord, and thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you're presently doing, and praise God for all that you're yet to do. Part us now with your blessing and bring us to our various homes in safety. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name.